This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. You found yourself in the 227th episode, and this one's a real treat because we're starting off today with a little game of word association. So as long as you're not driving, close your eyes, imagine yourself on the trout stream, hear the water bubbling over rocks, hear the wind blowing through the pine trees, smell the smell of the fertile soil that is on the stream banks. And what comes to your mind when I say the word streamer? Now, because we're in the 2020s, whatever we call this decade, there's a good chance that you're thinking of a seven-inch long articulated game changer. That's a good fly. It catches a lot of fish. Or if you've been fishing for the last uh, 20 years or so, you might think of a big conehead woolly bugger. But there's also a chance, and especially if you are a student of the history of fly fishing, or if you've been fishing for more than 20 years, that you think of something a little bit more subtle. Maybe a Mickey Finn, or a Grey Ghost, or even an Edson Tiger. These are good flies. These are traditional streamers. And they're also flies that still catch fish and have a place in our fly boxes. Now, I want to say on the onset that I am kind of fly agnostic. I don't care what kind of fly you use to catch fish. I think that you should use the flies that you catch fish with to catch fish. I think you should use the flies that make you happy to catch fish. But I don't think that we need to debate the merits of one style of streamer over another, generally speaking. Certainly, different flies have different applications. But the fact of the matter is that in any given stream, you're going to be able to catch fish on big contemporary streamers, and you're going to be able to catch fish on small, subtle streamers that were tired almost 100 years ago. And in fact, we're coming up on the 100-year anniversary of the construction of one of the most famous streamer patterns in the country, the Grey Ghost. 
Carrie Stevens tied this fly up in the Rangeley Lakes region of Maine in, I believe, 1924. Um, it actually started off as a different fly, but it's a relatively simple fly compared to some of the streamers we see today with um, a, a simple collar, a wrapped body, a glued uh, uh, feather wing, and then a feather uh, uh, collar. And it's a incredibly productive fly. It's a fly that drove the brook, brook trout of that part of Maine crazy in the 1920s and still does today. It's a fly that you will go up to Maine to some of these old historic lodges and they will tie them and they'll sell them at a premium and they'll sell out. Some of it's nostalgia, but some of it's because they still work. And so what are these flies? Why do they look so different than so many of the flies that are coming out today in modern streamer tying books and that we see on catalogs? And, and why are they worth fishing? And how can you fish them? So in the 20 minutes of a Casting Across podcast, you know we're not going to cover much at all. We're going to scratch the surface of a few facets of this fascinating aspect of fishing, something that I think needs to be talked about and needs to be appreciated a little bit more because it's a niche within any trout stream, small, medium, or large, that you need to be aware of for a few different reasons. But primarily because it is a way to catch fish. We could talk about the fact that it is part of our angling history. We could talk about the fact that it is an easy way to get into fly tying, but mostly this is a way that you can catch fish. It is a simple way to get on trout. So let me, let me first of all, describe what a streamer is because we are however many minutes of the podcast, almost four. And I don't want to take that for, for granted. So what is a streamer? A streamer at its most essential uh, level is a fly designed to imitate a larger forage source for trout or fish in general. And so more often than not, that is a smaller fish, but it could also be something like a crayfish or a large macro invertebrate like a, um, like a Helgramite uh, or, or even a large stonefly. But it's going to be a fly that is tied to be manipulated in the water. So although you absolutely should know how to fish streamers on a dead drift, streamers are often retrieved. And a retrieve can be accomplished in two primary ways. Um, well, one primary way with a little bit of a exception or a little bit of a modification. So you don't reel in streamers. Just want to throw that out there. Make sure I cover all my bases. Um, what you do is you retrieve them using your line hand. So you keep your, say you're right-handed, you keep your fly line hooked under your forefinger up against your cork, and you use your left hand to retrieve that fly. Now, there's debate, and that's a very lowercase d because after all, it's just fly fishing, on how much, if any, action you should put into your retrieve using your rod tip. If you at all had uh, any experience fishing conventional lures, you know that the rod tip is the primary mechanism for imparting action on your jerk bait or on your popper or whatever it might be. But when you are fishing fly line, you're manipulating that fly using your line hand and by jerking and pulling your, your fly line at different speeds. Now, I would say figure out for yourself a good comfort level on retrieving versus giving little flicks of the tip of your fly rod. The only caution I would have 
is that you can really get into a, a problem with delicate strikes when you are moving your fly rod tip around a lot when you are retrieving a fly. You want to be able to use that rod tip for sensitivity, and you want to use your line hand for also feeling changes in the pressure on your line as you're pulling that fly back in. Because if you're fishing for trout, there's a very good chance, especially if you're using a smaller, more subtle pattern, that the strikes are going to be more subtle. So there's no hard and fast rule, but by and large, I try to not impart a lot of action with my rod tip. I do use my rod tip to orient my retrieval angle, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But that's kind of going into the minutia of that. But getting back to the idea of streamers, um, streamers often, and especially these older streamers, streamers that have been around for a hundred ish years are tied on longer shanked hooks, um, which of course, you know, we, we've magnified that and we've blown that out in, in modern days by having incredibly long shanked hooks or articulated shanked hooks, or, um, even intruder style flies, which is a completely different ballgame. But a lot of them are tied in a very kind of simple manner. Now, of course, you can find very, very fancy salmon flies that would technically qualify as streamers. But again, I'm looking at flies like the uh, black ghost or the, uh, the, the, the black nosed dace or even things like the Edson tiger. And I'll talk about these for uh, in particular in a few minutes. But something like the black ghost, it is a small bit of calf tail coming off the tail, it is a thread wrap body, usually with a tinsel wrap over top of it to create some contrast, a marabou um, a wing, and then maybe a little bit of marabou or calf collar with a noticeable head. And oftentimes people will paint eyes on the noticeable head or the, the larger head of these flies. Very, very simple. As I was saying earlier, these are great flies for you to start tying on. If you're learning how to tie, learning about proportions, learning about manipulating materials and getting things to do what you want them to do, these are good flies to start tying on because they're relatively forgiving. Um, they, they use a modest amount of materials and you're able to work in a larger scale than if you were starting to tie on size 14, 16 dry flies. So uh, I just mentioned the, the the black ghost. The same thing is true of like the Mickey fin. Mickey fin is even simpler. It is, uh, you, you've, you've seen this fly before a thousand times. It is just red uh, or orange and yellow uh, bucktail uh, wing tied onto a, a tinsel and thread wrapped body with a larger head. That's all it is. But these are still flies that catch trout. Um, they look old timey. They look like something that you would find in your grandpa's, you know, wool hat that he had when he was fishing, you know, 50 years ago, but they still produce. They're still flies that you'll find on the what's working reports. If you go into fly shops up in New Hampshire in Maine and Minnesota and places like that, they are still very productive flies. Now, why are they tied this way? Why aren't they over-engineered? Why aren't there large palmered sections of the body? And why aren't there lots of bucktail tied in? Why aren't there big cone heads? Well, the primary reason is people wanted to use their trout gear to fish them. So if you were to try to use a five weight to cast a, you know, five and a half inch long weighted triple articulated streamer, I know that's like hyperbole, but, but you, know what I, you know what I mean? It's going to be a real struggle. You can do it, but it's not going to be a lot of fun. Um, so these patterns were tied to not only be fishable, but also be castable. They are flies that once they become wet, they are very aerodynamic. So you, you'll you notice them, you know, again, going back to the Mickey fin, when the thing gets wet, it looks like nothing. It looks like a few uh, wispy bits of bucktail over the top of a long shanked hook. But this allows you to cast 
a, a decent size fly, maybe a size two or a size four, certainly a size six on a five weight on a six weight. And, you know, you rewind 45, 55 years and the most popular weights of rods in those days kind of were equivalent to a six or a seven weight. And the materials were not as responsive as we're used to today. So it was bamboo and it was the pioneering days of fiberglass. And so you couldn't have these giant, heavy, chunky flies and get those kind of accurate and distance casts that you want when you're you're making presentations on medium and large rivers. So the flies had to be tied to accommodate the casting because these flies were, like I said, they were aerodynamic, but then they were also uh, didn't have a lot of water resistance. So that's one of the reasons why flies today, whether it be for muskie, whether it be for bass, or whether it be for big trout, are tied the way they are. They are tied in such a way with spun deer hair, with other materials, with large profiles of feathers. They're tied to not be hydrodynamic. They are tied to actually displace a lot of water. So this makes for a heavier fly. This makes for a more wind-resistant fly, and so consequently, that's why you have to go to that seven and that eight weight to cast these patterns, which is great because um, you know the flies that we're talking about today, the traditional patterns, they are tied flashy. They're tied with often with an eye painted on. Uh, they are tied with uh, with very bright, contrasting colors because they are meant to uh, draw the attention of a fish from a visual perspective. They're seeing that contrast in the water, and they're seeing something that emulates a natural bait fish. So you're talking about something that's like a smelt or. A juvenile brook trout or something like that. With contemporary patterns, what you're looking at is something that is just looks like a big food source, and maybe it has a parallel in the in the ecosystem, but it's also because it is not very hydrodynamic, it's displacing a lot of water. What it's doing is it's not only allowing those fish to key in from a visual perspective, they're also sensing this thing pulsate through the water um, in their lateral line, and so it's keying them in in that way. So again, these big flies do catch fish. But traditional streamers do also. Um, different fish will respond in different ways. Big fish will respond in different ways. And so having these smaller streamers on you is very, very helpful. And it also allows you to effectively fish a forage source like a bait fish in a streamer pattern using the exact same rod that you would be using to fish your dry flies and to fish your nymphs. You're not going to be able to do that super effectively or efficiently if you're using a large contemporary streamer. You almost need specialized equipment, which is fine, which is good. But to have some of these traditional streamers on hand, you're able to fish with, with them uh, using the normal equipment that you have. So how do you do that? This is a, a great question. Well, you can use the exact same methods, techniques that you use with your giant streamers. So if you have been fishing the big stuff and you're kind of getting tired of that, or you want to be able to fish your dry fly rod more frequently on some of your favorite streams, but you still want to have a streamer mixed in, then we have one of two options. One, you can always use smaller versions of contemporary streamers. Uh, that's really fun to see the, you know, the size six and the size eight smaller versions of some of the, the, the popular patterns that are out there today. But you also can use some of these more subtle, smaller patterns, the gray ghost, 
the little brook trout. Um, I mentioned the the Edson tiger. That's a really cool pattern that, uh, you know, when it was originally tied, just fun little geeking out on fly fishing history. When it was originally tied, it was tied with chenille. So again, not a super traditional material. Um, and then it was also tied with little metal cheeks. So, you know, basically blades. Um, they don't flip around like on a spinnerbait or something like that, but they little metal cheeks on the side of this, this little fly. And this actually, because it is uh, chenille does displace a little bit of water and it has a bit of a chunky profile. So that was, you know, that, and then like you think about the muddler minnow with the big deer spun head on it. Um, these flies do also accomplish some of the things that the contemporary streamers accomplish, but having these flies in your pack allows you to fish for the predatory fish, uh, the larger fish, the pisivorous fish, the fish that might even be cannibalistic, um, but able to do so in a more subtle way. So you might put a fish down, and I've seen this, I've put fish down with, you know, size two streamers, where even just a gentle retrieve through a pool uh, kind of freaks them out. And so they, you see them drop down to the bottom, you see them move off to the side, um, and you're never going to be able to eliminate that. You could have a perfect presentation with a small dry fly, and if they smell something wrong, they're out of there. But you, the, the more subtle you are, the better chance you have of eliminating that. But another nice thing about these patterns, these smaller patterns, is that you're able to fish them in a greater diversity of locations. So uh, you can fish these through deep pools. It's going to be a little bit harder, especially if they don't have weight on them, but you're able to fish them through runs and riffles also. They're a great probing pattern. A lot of people have kind of gotten back into wet fly fishing because you can fish them on the swing. So once again, defining terms, if you're standing and casting perpendicular to the bank, 90 degrees from the bank, you cast out you know, your full length of line, it goes taut within a, a few uh, feet of drift. And then if you say cast 30 feet out, you're completely taut at 90 degrees at 30 feet. And then it goes downstream uh, to your, your left, if left is downstream, and it swings until it gets to uh, a 90 degree angle from where you initially cast. And at that point, you can retrieve it in, and it swings all the way through. And so that fly presents um, across the entire uh, stream width, assuming it's a 30 foot wide stream. And it's a great way to probe for fish because you make that cast, maybe make a second cast, take a step down, do the same thing. You do that, you know, for a uh, hundred yards and you have effectively covered every foot, every, every square foot of that stream bottom with that wet fly. A lot of people, people are, are doing that today, getting more into it and fishing these traditional streamers. You can basically do the same thing. And a lot of people do this with, with wet flies, but it's the streamers are designed more for it where you make that same cast perpendicular to the bank right out in front of you and allow it to, to start to swing, but give it a little bit of action with your line hand. Give it those little twitches, those little taps, and then right before it gets to the place where it goes top below you, that's when you drop that rod tip down and you start to retrieve with gentle jerks. Now, this is one of those things where you are going to get strikes in every part of this cast. You're going to get it as soon as that fly hits the water. I mean, that happens with anything. I mean, you see fish go after cigarette butts. So it's, they, sometimes they just see a splash and they go for it, right? You're going to see it as you are swinging this across and giving it little ticks and little jerks. And then the, the most prevalent place in this entire 
cast where you're going and presentation where you're going to get strikes is right when you go from the apex of your swing and you begin to retrieve it because that fly goes from kind of drifting, dying, it's jerking and bobbing through the water column and come and then it comes to the apex of your swing and then you start to give it those retrieves. And if a fish is following it, and this is one of those awesome things if you get to watch it. Where that fish may be just kind of, you know, backpedaling in the water, as it were, and nosing that fly. And it's a little skeptical of it because the thing might be bright yellow and orange, or it might have a big flashy head on it. And it's it's watching it, and it's not ready to commit, and it might be nosing it, and it might even be a little bit look freaked out. You know, you, you can watch the body language of a fish. You know how this works. If you ever fish for like bass or panfish and you're jigging and you, you watch them and how they respond and what their fins do and maybe what their gills do and what their tail does as they as there's little things that happen, whether it's in the marabou of that jig or whether it's in the, the rubber legs of that jig where you see that was the thing that made them go after it at that point in time. The same thing is true when you hit the apex of that, that swing and then you begin your retrieve. That is a, a moment where that they cease being, you know, in their little fish brains, they cease being passive observers and they realize now this fish is trying to get away because it's not just drifting downstream kind of jerking anymore. Now it's moving upstream and now's my time to strike. And so that's a, a, lot, a big description for a simple concept of fishing a, uh, a streamer on the swing. But that's a great way to use these patterns. It's a great way to present a, a streamer pattern over a wide part of the stream. And it's also a great way to utilize a, a fly that's been around for almost 100 years that's caught lots of fish. Uh, one more tactic that I think is super effective. Um, I like a downstream cast. I like to position myself about a rod and a half length from the bank and cast downstream and then orient myself so that my rod tip is facing the bank. So if I have a nine foot rod, I'm probably somewhere within like 12 to 15 feet from the bank. And then I will, again, hold my rod tip down, but facing the bank. And I will make those quick retrieves, uh, quick retrieving uh, line motions, pulling it in with my line hand, giving it jerks, allowing it to dead drift. And when I allow it to dead drift, I make sure that I can maintain tension between my rod tip and my fly line. That way, if I feel any subtle tick or or tip, then I'm able to pull up and uh, and make make that hook set. But that's another great way to get fish that are either up against the stream uh, the stream bank on the 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 undercut bank or against some woody debris or something like that, or it's a way to kind of call in fish that are further out in the stream that might be keying in on larger food sources. So real quick on gear, uh, any good contemporary graphite, you know, five or six weight is a great tool to use for, uh, for, for fishing traditional streamers. Again, that's what these flies were tied for. So you're not going to be um, uh, overpowered or underpowered fishing these these flies. Now, um, I will say once you start adding weight, that changes the dynamic. But again, there's ways to fish. And, and the tactics that I explained today, it's easier sometimes to fish a fly with weight because you, you can, if, if you know your target, you see, okay, there's a down log, there's a boulder, there's an undercut bank. If you have a conehead streamer, then you can cast four feet in front of it. And you can know that fly is going to get, get down, assuming there's a little bit of slack in that leader. But with an unweighted fly, as all these traditional flies were originally tied, you're going to need to cast a little bit further ahead. But that's one of the nice things about having a sparsely dressed fly. There's not a lot of resistance. There's not a lot of um, material that is going to hang on to little 
air bubbles and things like that. They're going to get down relatively quickly, um, but it's going to require mending. It's going to require uh, a little bit of finesse to get that fly right where you want it in the water column. But as long as you have a good drift, then you're going to be able to do that. Nine foot rod, six weight is perfect for this. This is also a great opportunity to use a uh, furled leader. Um, if you haven't used furled leaders before, uh, they are great for turning over all sorts of flies, but I find them to be excellent for turning over uh, larger trout flies, and uh, traditional streamers would certainly fit that bill. And uh, what I like to use when it comes to a furled leader for streamers of this size and style is the furled leader and then a straight shot of something like three feet of 2x or 3x, depending on where I'm fishing, depending on water clarity. Um, I also used to like to, you know, go as small as I can because I want a real supple uh, tippet material right on the ups upside of my fly. Uh, it, this is the same idea of like if you're using a jerk bait for bass, you have a split ring on there. It's so that the uh, the line is not what is necessarily dictating the lure's movement. Um, and so it's this, the same thing is true here. The uh, lighter tippet that you have, the less of an impact that your your retrieval is going to have on the direct motion of that fly. Uh, a lighter uh, tippet is going to allow that thing to cock left and cock right and, and move around a little bit more as you retrieve it. So I like to use as lightweight as I can get away with for a lot of these trout streamers. Um, or if you're not into furled leaders, then this is a great opportunity to use one of my favorite leader formulas. You know, you get a knotless tapered mono leader pre-package, like a seven and a half foot three X. And I'll take like two feet off of it and then tie a nice three foot, uh, uh, segment of 3x on there and then that butt section remains my butt section the whole season for my streamers um, as long as you tie a good solid knot then that is a great stiff butt section on a uh, leader that will turn over those flies well um, but here's the cool thing about about some of these flies you're fishing like say like a size six mickey fin you're probably okay using your, you know, going directly from your nymph lead, uh, rig as long as using a traditional nymph rig, not like a urine nymph rig. You can use your dry fly leader, you can use your nymph leader, and you're going to be able to cast that fly just fine. So anyway, that's a few tips and a few ideas. And again, just scratching the surface of what I would call traditional streamer fishing. And uh, by all means, go do research. This is a great part of American fly fishing, not to say that other parts of the world haven't used streamers, but there's some really cool stories about some of the streamers that are tied. Just like today, it's people are fascinated by some of the contemporary streamers that are coming out because it really is um, breaking molds. It really is pushing boundaries. This is where you see a lot of interesting materials being used, a lot of interesting techniques being tried. And this is a great place uh, for you to kind of put some ingenuity into your fly tying. At the end of the day, as long as it looks like a fish in the water, it's going to catch fish. As long as it moves and casts and, and moves through the water well, this is a fly that you can use. And so get creative. Riff on one pattern, another pattern. You think about, uh, I know this is moving into salt water and that's not what we're talking about, but you think about how you have the um, the, the, the the deceiver and you have the clouser minnow and how you've, the half and half is a, is a melding of the two. And it's a great fly. All three of them are great flies. The same thing is true when you uh, look at the, uh, the these traditional flies. But one of the keys, and if, if you want to be authentic, minimally dressed. Keep them minimally dressed. These, these minimally dressed, not over-engineered, not super bulky, not heavy. 
heavy, not water resistant, not air resistant flies have been catching fish for over a hundred years. So the same is, is true. So if you want the spirit of a traditional streamer, try to see what you can accomplish with as little as possible. Uh, utilize color, utilize contrast, utilize um, those passive uh, materials, things like marabou that move on their own. And you're going to have a lot of fun coming up with something and a lot of fun catching fish. Any questions, comments, accusations about streamers? We've got a, uh, a podcast of about feedback coming up in a few episodes. So let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. I'll be happy to hear what you have to say. This week on the Casting Across website, two articles, both about fly casting. First one is called Casting Practice Makes Better. Uh, you're never going to be perfect at fly casting because there's too many variables to take into account to say that anyone's going to be perfect, but you can get better. And I enjoy taking my rod out and my line out to the grass, not the pavement. Don't do that. It's bad for your fly line. And uh, just casting some targets. So I give three uh, exercises, one for accuracy, one for distance, and one for aerial mending. Aerial mending is maybe one of the most underrated aspects of fly casting. And especially if you are fishing for trout, or other or warm water species. Uh, this is something that you need to be aware of. And I don't go into detail about aerial mending on this uh, article, but it's definitely worth checking out and because I send you to a few different resources. Speaking of resources, Wednesday's article was called Fly Casting, Where to Go for Better. And here I give four solid resource recommendations uh, on where to go if you want to get better. You know, think about other sports. If you're a golfer, people go to swing coaches all the time. They go and utilize uh, indoor uh, ranges that have uh, cameras and things like that. It, it's an investment in your time out on the links. The same is true for your fly casting and your fishing. If you are about to go on a trip to the Bahamas and you want to make sure that you can get that 80-foot cast out there, then it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to spend some money in an afternoon to have a professional instructor show you a couple of things you can do better to get your double haul where it needs to be or to be able to get that cast out in one less false cast. Now, the same thing is true with a number of aspects of, of um, freshwater fly fishing also. So Definitely check out that article, check out some of the books and the videos that I have on there. This week's recommendation, kind of going back to the idea of some of these patterns being not just traditional patterns, but heritage patterns, uh, go to the American Museum of Fly Fishing's website, and you can see so much there. Now, certainly, if you are in New England or you're planning on taking a vacation, go to the Manchester, Vermont uh, American Museum of Fly Fishing site, and you can see all sorts of cool stuff, uh, but their website has so much good stuff anyway. Uh, so check that out, see what they have on there. You're going to go down some rabbit holes. You will be well distracted. So uh, do it on your time, not company time. But I'll put a link to the American Museum of Fly Fishing on this episode's show notes over at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm -hmm.